0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of their more dynamic divisions at the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. So you've undoubtedly seen the the big news that the five and a half month long writer strike is now over. Ish. Ish. Ish.
0: uh, Thank you. Thank you. They're flagging him in to clear the runway. It looks like it's going to have a good landing.
1: What Aaron's referring to here is all of the Writers Guild members have to vote to actually ratify the deal that union leadership hammered out with the studios over this past weekend. And people I've talked with. Seem happy, and again, ish is probably the right word mm-hmm. for this new three-year contract. Writers actually got quite a bit of what they were looking for. One of the issues, I guess, was uh, setting minimum staff levels for writers' rooms, and uh, there were also serious limits put in place in regard to how AI can be used when it comes to scripted fare. When uh, just to be specific here, that's feature films and television series. And then sort of respecting how the world has changed since subscription streaming has started, guidelines have now been adopted which will reward writers if the show that they help create suddenly becomes a sensation in streaming. Because again, the old revenue streams for linear television and that sort of thing really didn't apply
0: when it came to streaming. So would this be kind of considered like a ratings bonus? Hey, if you get uh One million views, you get an extra Mm -hmm. 10 grand.
1: The thing is that when a show is streamed, it's like literally the number of total minutes the show is watched. Sure. The old ratings yardstick about how many eyeballs you got in a week's time just no longer applied. Now, of course, you you can't have television without actors. And uh, the actors went out on strike. Two and a half months ago. And and they're actually hopeful that the deal that the studios hammered out with the writers can now serve as a a, a template for a settlement of of their strike. All I've been hearing is, well, let's see what this weekend brings. Because evidently they're looking to do the same thing. Seriously sit down and see if they can use what got carved together for the writers as a way to, to settle with the actors. and
0: Mr. Hill, uh, Aaron Adams, Marvelous Disney, uh, question in the front row? Mm-hmm. Yes. Does the timing of all of this, and uh, also the fact that Netflix, Max, and Disney, and other streaming giants are apparently creating a streaming industry trade alliance, is that kind of like they're unionizing themselves to... Uh, have more of a vice grip on the throats of whoever they negotiate against in the future. They're going to take it. See, it, to me, it seems like they're going to take this bump and go, All right, guys, we're going to give in this time because it's gone on long enough. But next time, damn it, we got our own power group the super friends of streamers, super streamer friends, unite. Yeah! <laughs> And then, so it's
1: up. It was only this past weekend where the actual CEOs, you know, the Igers, the, uh, the, the Zaslavs and that sort of thing, got in the room. Up until that point, it had been their proxies and, and that sort of thing. And streaming still isn't making money. In fact, that's one of the conversations that's being had behind the doors, the effect of there needs to be some consolidation in this industry. And the writers were talking about, well, look, which CEO is sitting next to the other CEO who's talking to who and what what is that going to mean two years from Mm now? Earlier this summer, there was a whole conversation about we want to keep this going till December, till writers and actors start losing their homes and then we'll get the terms we wanted And what was interesting is evidently it was the exhibitors who actually raised their hands and said, guys, we have nothing to show. I mean, if, you know, if Taylor Swift wasn't putting out a movie version of her super successful concert, we were going to have a miserable fall. You guys need to resolve this because we need movies to show this winter, next spring, next summer. So that's another reason why the actors are hopeful. It's like, look, the exhibitors kind of cudgeled them into making this decision. Now, speaking of which, though, if all goes according to plan, because the writers will vote, and then if they ratify the deal... TV talk shows like Jimmy Kimmel could be back on the air with new episodes by late next week, which again would be early October, which I have to tell you from people I've talked with at Disney, they would love it if the actors strike could be resolved in kind of that same window because season two of Loki starts next week. On Thursday, October
0: fifth. Holy crow! That's I. I'm still in my mind. It's still a hundred years away. No, it's it is days away at this point. But here's the thing: if the, the
1: planets align properly, this means the very same night that Loki becomes available for viewing on Disney Plus. Tom Hiddleston could be the special guest on the return of Jimmy Kimmel Live, and he could be talking of season two of this limited series, sitting there on the couch with Jimmy. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know that these guys can move that fast, but the PR teams at Disney and Marvel are are hopeful and, and they can dream, so... Lots more news, but before we get to that, just want to remind you that the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Turing Plan's own travel agency. And if you're looking for help when it comes to booking your very next trip to Walt Disney World, these obviously very knowledgeable people can help. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Turing Plan's with every package that you book. Before your next trip to Florida, please check them out at TouringPlans.com backslash travel so we were just talking about loki and disney at this point is just desperate to find a way to to promote season two of this series without involving the actors and so did you see they just put up online a cut scene from Thor uh, Ragnarok, which features
0: Throg. I have not seen that clip. I've, I saw another thing that they were putting out to promote it. But go ahead and tell me about Throg, because I love me a good Throg story. Chris Hemsworth
1: himself voiced the character for, the, and again, it's a CG frog. And what's interesting is it was far enough, alo- it's not finished CG It isn't lit properly. The color's a little off. But you can definitely see that a lot of effort went into this scene. And in fact, what's particularly funny is they have Tom Hiddleston's Loki, you know, reacting as Throg uses uh, Mjolnir on his brother and and, and electrocutes him. I mean, it looks like it would have been a lot of fun. But in the end, it's like you're editing a movie. You got to kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. Now, the wild card in when it comes to promoting Loki season two is Jonathan Majors is in about half of the episodes of this season. And remember, we we have six episodes total with the last one airing on November 9th. Now, I don't need to remind folks that Mr. Majors was uh, arrested back in March and charged with misdemeanor assault and aggravated uh, harassment of, of involving his then-girlfriend, Grace Jabari. Now, since March, there have been court hearings and the, the, the trial is supposed to have been gotten underway. It was postponed last month and the thing that's making marvel and disney crazy is the next hearing is set for october 25th it literally right before the last two episodes of season two of
0: loki air did you happen to see the thing where he broke up the fight between the two girls i did i did how much did he pay them to get into a fight because he's just looking for good publicity
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I, I have to tell you that Loki season two's executive producer, Kevin Wright, did an interview with Entertainment Weekly about the second season and said, look, we still at Marvel have huge plans for Jonathan and his Kang character that everybody enjoys Victor timely, the variant we they get to meet in the series. And Timely is a stepping stone to the versions of the character that will appear in Avengers Kang Dynasty, which is still supposed to be released on May 1st, 2026. By the way, on the second half of today's show, we'll get into why that's probably wishful thinking on Marvel's part. There are so many release dates that are about to get pushed.
0: What? Let, no, let me go reach into the closet for the surprised face again. It's been a long time since I've had to pull it out. Yeah, <sighs> gonna, um, gonna, I just don't know gonna, why, because it, it just seems like uh, every time they do, it becomes more forgettable. The date, right? It, it, it does. It's the, the exact it same does. thing with uh, Agatha. Mm-hmm. do I don't oh, know what to so. call it. Don't know what the date is. Don't know what to call it. And uh, honestly, at this point, don't care because it's just changed so much. And it just seems like every single time they move it, a, a series of dates and, and they should just say it's delayed. Just leave it at delayed. When, when the actors strike and the writers strike is done and complete and people actually are working again then they can actually make an accurate guess as to when something might feasibly come out and then you know put out one date instead of spending a whole boatload of money redoing uh, release dates and announcements and ads. Anyway.
1: You are correct. There is, you know, when you print posters, when you cut commercials and you have to change them, that makes people at the studio level crazy. But remember how we started off today's show. It was the exhibitors. That ultimately convinces the studio heads, look, you need to settle this. We need movies. And it's kind of the same thing. When we talk about a movie that's coming out in May of 2026, yes, that's two and a half years away, which seems like a long time Unless you actually work in Hollywood. And then it's like, oh, God, that's not nearly enough time. And how are we going to get those effects done? And, and remember, you're also now dealing with the Marvel studio visual effects people who just voted to unionize. And, and oh, that's going to get interesting. Hey,
0: Jim, do you, do you know the uh, numbers of when they do like a play, a Broadway play that gets broadcast in a theater? Mm. Do you know, like, does that actually make money for anybody? What's the audience for that?
1: What's kind of interesting about those is that they typically will do one night performance or that sort of thing. In fact, the theaters typically—you're sitting there in the theater waiting for your movie to begin, and suddenly a a trailer comes up for you know, hey, Aida from London, mm-hmm. you know, one night only. And- I would have
0: done anything for, to see Danny Boyle's Frankenstein, right? Um, but my whole my whole thing about that, you know, is it, does it actually make money is the question for the theater owners right now mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood's not making content. And so we've got this gap to fill. Well, Taylor Swift did a thing. And you remember when Eddie Murphy did raw and, you know, mm-hmm. that was in theaters. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't take anything to, to do. That took Eddie Murphy and, and a full auditorium and a camera. And and uh, they edited a live show together, and it costs like a buck fifty. Taylor Swift, I'm sure her concert costs like you know a quarter of a million dollars to put on, but then mm-hmm. you capture that quarter of a million dollars on camera, you put it up on a screen, you sell tickets to the people that can't afford to sell their house to go to a Taylor Swift mm-hmm. show. There's uh-huh. other performers out there that would probably be like, hey, I could also film my stuff and put it in theaters and fill that gap. Or there might be plays that are in Broadway, and you can't get all the way to Broadway to see that play, but they would like to make more money, so they'd be like, hey, why don't we film this one special night and uh, run it in theaters? And, and all of a sudden, you've got content coming from other places, which, by the way, would put the flip and squeeze on Hollywood in a very uncomfortable way because now they've got – actual new competition that they never had before. And if it's making bank, like Taylor Swift's probably making in theaters, man, it's going to make them rethink a whole lot of stuff real quick.
1: I get that. I get that. But exhibitors at this point are just flat out terrified at the kids who, you know, I, yes, I can go to a theater. Yes, I can see this in IMAX. I can also watch this on my phone. And especially now in this era, where we've taught people that, oh, well, if you're willing to wait 8 to 10 weeks, that will become available as a digital download. And, and that's just what's so interesting about this particular time in show business history, that there are these seismic events going on and people get excited by flashy new things like AI. But at the same time, it's still the threat of there's a whole audience out there that has to be convinced now that they need to see something in theaters. And it used to be the Marvel movies that did that. you know. And it's Bob Iger himself who said that, yeah, you know, maybe all of the stuff we're putting on Disney Plus has actually eroded the value of what we're doing theatrically. But speaking of, of going back to Disney Plus and again talking about Loki season two, and Kevin Wright's hope that, you know, everyone's going to love Victor Timely and be really excited and come out to see Kang Dynasty in May of 2026. The other thing that they're really, really hoping is that Majors beats the domestic violence charges. And in fact...
0: I don't know if you want to use the word beats when you're talking about domestic violence charges, but go uh, ahead.
1: Okay. Oh, you know, <laughs> well, speaking of fights, though, that, that again, the very thing you talked about, that footage of Jonathan stepping into a fight that was happening... Uh, Two Girls Fighting at Hollywood High School out in L.A. And I don't know if you saw, you know, just this past weekend, majors appeared at the Congressional Black Caucus's 8th Annual Black and White Gala with Megan Good, who was the co-host of the, the event. And Megan and Jonathan have been an item since May of this year. And, you know, the two of them walked in at the event and Megan spoke to the crowd there. And, you know, just we're happy that, to be here with you all tonight celebrating, you know, the moves we're making. And she then turned to Jonathan and said, babe, do you want to say anything? And he said, y'all heard the missus, so that's what it is. And now suddenly everyone's like, he said the missus. Are you two married? Just one of these things where interrupting the fight at Hollywood High School, introducing someone he's been dating as well as the missus, I've been doing this long enough to, to, you know, it's like, wow, who is doing your PR now? Yeah, they're slick. You know, and remember, you know, the trial has been pushed and pushed and pushed. So that suggests that the folks in New York maybe don't have the case that they think they did. There's folks at Marvel right now who are like, oh, especially on the other side of Loki season two, that if people really like Victor Timely and, you know, we've got that one-two punch of what we saw of Kang in Quantum Mania and what we're going to see with Victor Timely. And it's just sort of like, he's our guy. We really do want to keep him in place as we march toward the Kang dynasty. And then on the other side of that secret war, that's phase six. And, and in fact, Phase 5 uh, is supposed to end with uh, Captain America, Brave New World, and Thunderbolts, two projects, which again, because of the actor strike and the writer's strike, got disrupted. And then, you know, Phase 6 is supposed to kick off with the Fantastic Four film, which remember, we had some news on the casting, but even then they hadn't locked it down. So, So we're just talking about Phase 5. On last week's show, uh, we brought up the fact about the controversy of the cost of making the Marvels with Vanity Fair reporting $130 million, where Forbes, 24 hours after that, reported that the film actually cost $274.8 million. So did you get that sorted out? What was it? I called everybody at Disney, and you know people have been given talking points when you, you ask them and they're like, oh, yes, the Marvels. Yeah. Did you see we just got our PG-13 rating? Look at the size of sizable audience that will be able to turn out for that. And it's just sort of, we're not going to talk about the cost. No, look at that PG-13 rating. Oh, my God. When that movie comes out on November 10th, oh, it's going to do great. So what was kind of interesting, I also was asking them about the Avengers Vault, which opened at California Adventure on September 18th. What's interesting is if you go in there right now, there's not a lot of Captain Marvel, uh, the Marvel's merch in there.
0: Lots of Loki stuff, though. Well, they're they're good with their timing. I mean, in the exact same way that as soon as the show drops, you'll have a Loki walking in the park. Mm -hmm. So you got to go buy your Loki merch. That is what is hot at the moment. And this is all about timing. I mean, they're, they're the ones that came up with the 56-second rule be f- from the time you get off the ride to the time you got to go buy something, right? So That's
1: it, exactly. So six weeks from now, just ahead of the debut of the Marvels, what I'm hearing is that there will be a lot of stuff in the Avengers vault that ties directly in with this Nia Costa movie. And they also have indicated that there is a retail program that will also begin in January. There will be items in the Avengers vault at that time that key off of Echo. This was the show that was supposed to drop all of its episodes at once on November 29th. Now, those six episodes appear to have been pushed back to January 10th of next year. And in fact, we we just got a logline for this series, which reads, Marvel Studios Presents Echo, in which Maya Lopez struggles to reconnect with her Native American roots while balancing aspirations tied to a life of crime as the successor to the brutal legacy of Wilson Fisk. In the first episode, we are introduced to Maya and her struggles. Now, this is kind of... Must-see viewing if you're somebody who's excited about Daredevil Born Again, which, by the way, now that 18-episode show has slid to 2025, maybe 2026. But anyway, to get back to Kingpin, remember, at the end of Hawkeye, it was basically inferred that Echo had killed Wilson Fisk, by shooting him in the head. So now we have to watch Echo to figure out how exactly did Kingpin survive getting shot in the head in Hawkeye?
0: Use the Lazarus pit. No, wait Uh, a minute. (laughs) Hang on, Uh, hang on. We've got Uh, a multiverse. I'm just not sure it goes quite that far over to DC. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, well, in the comics, though, we I mean, we did a show shortly after that episode had aired, Mm -hmm. and in the comics he does get shot and they have him wearing a, uh, eye patch as in like he got shot in the eye and it hit his skull and ricocheted mm-hmm. and, and bounced outwards. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up surviving. And, uh, I swear that there was like a shirt that he was wearing that is like the same shirt from that drawing. So, yeah, the speculation was he may have been shot, but he's the kingpin. You know, he can take a bullet to the head because he's the kingpin. So, yeah. So I don't know if what if he's going to have any damage or if they're going to even. I don't, yeah, who knows? Who knows?
1: Well, I, I still remember that fight in the toy store. Again, he just got whaled on and kept. Who is the Energizer Bunny? Mm-hmm. So later on in the show, what he is bruised and battered by coming out of the the toy shop, and that's when Echo catches him with the gun. So, like I said, release date for that uh, changed from November 29th to now we're hearing January 10th, but there's lots of of release dates slipping, and on the second half of today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Top of the show, we talked about the hopeful resolution of the writer's strike again, they got a vote to ratify and how this potentially opens the door to a resolution of the actor's strike. But even if these two things get resolved and everybody goes back to work, it's still going to take a while to crank up the machine again, to get the band back together. And I pulled this, I want to say this was from the Hollywood reporter about what we're heading into. One motion picture marketing source over the weekend categorize next year's release calendar as not real meaning that it remains in question whether movies that haven't been haven't completed production and he cited specifically marvel studios disney's deadpool 3 which remember was supposed to come out may 3rd 2024 mission impossible 8 that was slated for june 28th of next year and Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, which, remember, actually got delisted. I mean...
0: They're doing the smart thing that I said earlier. Don't even put a date on it. Just take it off the calendar, figure it out, and get to us later. I think that's the, the, the game that they should be playing with a, a, a lot of these projects right now.
1: Now, speaking of the game, all right. If you're somebody who works in the entertainment press... And you have had over the past five and a half months to churn out stories, had to create content in a time when the usual torrent of info is is a trickle. What do you do? If you're rolling stone this past week, what you did is you posted a story with the headline, the 50 worst decisions Hollywood has ever made. It tries to be both flip and serious. I mean, the guy who wrote it really does know his Hollywood history. Like, for example, to his way of thinking, the number one most terrible decision Hollywood ever made was shooting The Conqueror. Have you ever seen this? The John Wayne movie with, with Agnes Moorhead about the the life of Attila the Hun? No. All right. Well, here's the thing, Aaron. They shot it downwind from Los Alamos while they were doing all sorts of atomic tests.
0: Oh, is that when he died of cancer from shooting that one? Supposedly
1: 42% of the cast of The Conqueror eventually came down with various forms of cancer. Right, yeah. So it's like, okay, I get that. And, And by the way, number two, is Burt Reynolds turning down Sonny and the Godfather, Han Solo in Star Wars, and the Jack Nicholson role in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Though what's kind of interesting is if we jump over to, say, 40 on this list, he talks about how William Shatner should never have been allowed to direct Star Trek The Final Frontier. But what was kind of interesting is that he and Leonard Nimoy had with Paramount what they call favored nations contracts. I mean, they got the exact same amount of money and they got the same perks. And so, for example, when, when Leonard Nimoy got to direct the search for Spock... It was like, well, no, I get a shot at directing a movie as well, and you know, but the the difference is, is Leonard Nimoy was actually a, a pretty good movie director. In fact, he mm-hmm. he did uh, Three Men and a Baby for Disney, and mm-hmm. it, it made big bucks. Whereas Final Frontier is is damn near killed Star Trek as a film franchise. And but then to pivot back to the Marvel world, this author cites as number thirty three on the list. Sewing up Deadpool's mouth in X-Men Origins Wolverine.
0: Wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, his nickname, for the love of all things holy, Mm -hmm. is the Merc with the mouth. There we go. So what idiot couldn't read a single comic at the executive level and Mm -hmm. went, hey, you know what? I got a a really good idea. Uh, Let's get rid of the guy's mouth. (laughs) They're like, where the hell is this coming from, Bob? Uh, It just came to me in a dream.
1: (laughs) Okay, Deadpool as a character debuts in 1990. Rob Liefeld does the drawing and Fabian Nasia, he does the writing on it and quickly develops a loyal following because this character is irreverent. He doesn't behave like a Marvel character. And you make a decision to put Wade Wilson In your your X-Men origin Wolverine movie. And initially, Ryan Reynolds was only supposed to cameo. And it was only as they were shooting it that the role became bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you remember this film, he's really not Wade Wilson. In fact, they called him Weapon X-1. You know, I mean, he's a genetically altered mutant killer. The character has all of these powers that he's taken from other mutants that have either been kidnapped or killed over uh, the course of X-Men origin, the Wolverine movie. And, and in fact, the, the general striker character in order so you so you can actually call him Deadpool in the movie there's this awful bit of dialogue where he addresses the Wade character as, "Well, he's the pool, the, the the mutant killer, Deadpool, because all of these other mutants' abilities have pooled together in this one character. The what is it? He had the power to shoot concussive energy beams from his eyes, so that's, help me out here. The 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 X Men guy who oh Cyclops, that. Cyclops, okay, yeah. and he had healing factor
0: uh, from Wolverine. Uh, There we go. Uh, Teleportation. Could have been uh, probably Nightcrawler or one of the other.
1: Okay. And then finally, retractable blades in his arm. So again. Wasn't that
0: Meg from Family Guy? No, (laughs) that was the fingernails.
1: Ow! Is it bleeding? No, but still, ow. But no red suit, no Mm. mask, and then. No mouth. (laughs) And you take, you know, a Ryan Reynolds, who nobody is better at dialogue nobody and you sew his mouth shut if you remember the very end post-credit scene of this thing wolverine had decapitated mutant x1 and there's a scene where his headless body is now sort of feeling around on the ground and finds wade's head so you know well we're set up for the sequel you know that that he's going to put his head back on and this character is going to continue on and This movie came out May 2009, and everybody knew this was a waste of Deadpool. Reynolds knew it. The studio knew it. Just two years later, Fox hires Red Reese and Paul Wernick to write a real Deadpool script. And that very same year, April 2011, they hire Tim Miller to direct, and Tim Miller Kind of an interesting choice. He's an effects guy. And more to the point, he's the head of Blur Studios. And so we're going to make a real Deadpool movie. This is a character who has that healing ability and you know, has a really foul mouth. And we're going to have fun with this. But two months after they get the band together and you know they've got the writers, they've got the directors, they're about to shoot their tests. Then Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern movie comes out and crashes and burns at the box office. And so suddenly the folks at Fox, who, remember, Reynolds himself had hectored them to the effect of, look, you blew it. You could do so much with Deadpool and let us prove it and let us get a group of guys together and do the proof of concept. And so they've still agreed to give him the money to go off and do the test. But the notion is, like, we just saw that Ryan Reynolds did a super mo- hero movie and nobody came and it's just sort of like do we really want to do the same thing do we really want to put up our money so they shoot that amazing proof of concept thing in late 2011 2012 and blur studios does all of the finish effects work and it's amazing and they show it to Fox executives and they're like, wow, that is really violent and he's really profane. And it's like, yes, just like we said when we convince you to do this test. And it's like, geez, we don't know. Could you guys maybe go off and, and write a script for a PG-13 version of this? And they said, F- no. <laughs> <laughs> well, but here's the thing, it's dead. It's dead in the water, in fact. There's even a management change at Fox. And during the management change, Reynolds and Miller make a run at the new chairman to the effect of, look at this footage. Isn't this amazing? And yeah, there's really a market out there for this. And it's like, weren't you guys doing a PG-13 script of this? Can I see that? So finally, when it becomes clear to Miller and Reynolds that Fox is not going to do anything with this, that's when this proof of concept Leaks. Do you remember that August of 2014?
0: Oh yeah, I, I remember the the day. I could tell you the smell in the air. We were making lasagna at the time. <laughs> I, I remember it very vividly, Jim. And it was so startling
1: to see this just violent as hell, profane as hell, funny as hell, and and dynamic and great. You know, in fact. What absolutely I love about this proof of concept is when we finally actually got the really for real Deadpool movie in 2016, they just dropped it straight into the movie. I mean, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a question of, oh, we need to change this. We need to fix this. It's like, no, this was a chunk of the movie. We always intended it to be a chunk of the movie. And Fox got embarrassed into the fact that everybody's like, I would pay money to see that movie right now. And you've had this how long? This has been in the can for two and three years. What's wrong with you people? And so what Fox then did begrudgedly, it's like, all right, well, here's some money. You know, certainly not all of the money you wanted to make. Your-
0: it's in Canadian, by the way. It's got a little you only it's not quite ten million dollars, it's like nine and a half.
1: There we go. There we go. But then it comes out, and 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 remember, you know, two years later we got our sequel. At that point, the two films combined one point five billion dollars at the worldwide box office, and in fact, that is ultimately why Deadpool three, you know, the studio had to admit, yep, just as profane, you know, just as violent, because that's what the audience wants.
0: Well, I mean, that's what the character was, and also, yeah. after having such a failure and disappointing mm. the fan base, yeah, the, I think the releasing of that little clip mm-hmm. was saying, look, guys, we did it the true way, mm-hmm. and the studio wants to screw it up, so if mm-hmm. we can get you all riled in a frenzy saying, we want this... And that kind of backs the studio into a corner of of all right, well, I guess we'll have to try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what better way to fix the error than like this pure distilled, you know, straight out of the vein Deadpool type of stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's it was the right move. I'm glad they got away with it.
1: But at the same time, you know, just when you look back at X Men Origins Wolverine, by the way, from friends who have read the script and have seen the footage for deadpool three it's like they have fun with that one you know that that they go back there and evidently a couple times so anyway moving on here 22nd on the rolling stones list of the worst decisions that hollywood ever made howard the duck a release to theaters august 1st 1986 by uh, universal pictures george lucas spent $37 million to make this film. It only sold $36 million worth of tickets. I
0: have to take issue with this. No, I I, I actually had to uh, just right now mm-hmm. order a subscription to Rolling Stone just so I could mm-hmm. cancel it <laughs> because of, of that Howard the Duck comment. I, I just say, uh, good day, sir. Good day.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you actually watch the movie, I mean, look, it's not perfect, but it has amazing effects. The Howard outfit, the animatronic outfit, it is amazing. And to be honest, it also has one of my favorite lines in Hollywood history. There's there's the moment where this machine is malfunctioning and bringing in the dark overlords of the universe to take over the Earth. And you know, various pieces of equipment are on fire, and there's one technician who's like, my eyes, my eyes! And Howard turns to the camera and just flat out says... This does not bode well. I I have been using that for 37 years now. Just whenever it's, you know, something is really off, and this does not bode well. On, On the other hand, to go back to the dark overloads of the universe, this is industrial light and magic using its go motion stop-motion system. Uh, it, w- it was an interesting bend on what Ray Harryhausen
0: used to be. It was to try and get blur, wasn't it? That's the- it, exactly. Okay. There we go.
1: Yeah, the, the the notion was that rather than classic stop-motion is you move the figure, take a picture. You move the figure, take a picture. Where it, with go-motion, it was as you went to take the picture, the armature, there was a motor in the armature that would move it just slightly during the shot. So as Aaron just mentioned, you would get blur with the stop motion, we should make the figure look that much more lifelike. And that was amazing. And Howard is now a beloved part of the Guardians movie universe. Likewise, the animated Marvel What If, beautifully voiced by Seth Green uh, rather than Chip Zen, who voiced uh, Howard in the, the 1986 film. And by the way, for you Broadway fans out there, uh, Chip Zen played the baker, in the original Broadway production of Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. And, you know, for some reason, kept this credit out of playbill for some reason. Hmm. You know, he he wasn't ready to share that with the audience. But the poor writer at Rolling Stone, because there was nothing to write about, because everybody was on strike. Now, at least that the writers are coming back and hopefully the, the actors will resolve their issues with the producers' alliance soon. And... We can all get back to, to telling real stories. And speaking of, of, of real stories, if, if you want to know what really goes on behind the scenes on Madison Avenue, you have to, have to, have to listen to Aaron's wonderful Patreon show, 32nd Street. And what are you going to be shocking me with this week?
0: Oh, definitely, Jim, I recommend that you do not listen to this week's 32nd Street because we're still trying to appease our, our listener, uh, Robert Worth. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Robert wanted to uh, hear more of were behind-the-scenes radio stories. And uh, none of them are good. Mm-hmm. None of them are good. There's many laws that are broken. People, mm-hmm. people should have been in jail. Some people could have died. Uh, and uh, Oh, and celebrities were involved. Okay, that's my wheelhouse, you know, uh, okay. I uh, yeah.
1: also have seen you on, on social media over the past week or so. You're still on, on Twitter, right, or X, or what we're calling it?
0: Y- yep, on X, at is prod, Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Uh, I don't even know what the hell I'm tweeting nowadays. It's it's uh, There's things, but like you said, the news mm-hmm. is slow,
1: mm-hmm. no, and so that. there's
0: not a lot going on. Okay.
1: Well, I I myself am also still on X. Likewise, Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And then over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And we also have a number of other podcasts here. For example, Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta fine-tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, uh, who, by the way, has his own podcast that he does uh, with Charles Hood, and that's Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. And And we just recently, uh, Brian Gunn and I, did a brand new episode of Looking at Lucasfilm. Uh, before I forget, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts And rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be very helpful. And if you really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. And one final thing, because it's literally coming up the road right now. Mr. Tess and I, our brand new project, Disney Unpacked. It's our first ever video series. Uh, We're producing it in collaboration with Jim Shull, who spent 30 plus years at Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, This is the guy who created some of your favorite attractions at the Disney parks. Things like Rock and Roller Coaster and Major's Junkyard Jamboree. And we are launching that show soon. Like days soon. So uh, if you don't want to miss out... Uh, Head on over to Disney Unpacked on YouTube and subscribe. And I guess that's going to do it for this week then, Aaron. So, all right. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back soon.